The book of Revelation is a mysterious and difficult and exciting part of the Bible. Right at the beginning of it, in chapters 2 and 3, are the letters to the seven churches. They are messages given by the risen and ascended Christ to John for seven actual congregations in Asia Minor. And each letter reflects in some detail the situations and challenges facing that particular congregation. But we are not meant to understand these letters simply for one congregation or even for seven congregations. In the book of Revelation, numbers are very symbolic, and seven is for the Jews the perfect number. It speaks of completeness. And so we are to take these seven letters, yes, as individual letters, but also as a letter to the whole church in every place and in every age. They are, if you like, Christ's message, the risen and ascended Christ's message for the church of today. I want to take these seven letters, insofar as time allows me, over the next few months. If you were to take ship from the island of Patmos, where John was living in exile, and go some 60 miles up the coast of Turkey, you would come to a long line of sandy beaches, and in the middle of it there would be an area of marshland densely packed with reeds. No ship could enter there. But 2,000 years ago, this was the Gulf of Ephesus before it all gradually silted up. Around it was built the city of Ephesus. Its harbor was the those who claim they are apostles and are not. Jesus commends the church in Ephesus for three things. First of all, for their hard work. A strong, vital Christian congregation demands hard work, and the church at Ephesus was fully prepared for all the work that was involved. So many churches today are weak and ineffective simply because people aren't prepared to put the work into it, or they put the work into things that don't really matter. Sometimes it may be the minister. If the minister is not working, not much else is going to work either. Sometimes it may be the elders. Sometimes it's a person in key position who's dragging their feet, and it's written all over their organization, 
or the particular thing for which they are responsible. Sometimes it's the church members. In many a church, they leave it all to the few, and most folk do very little. Sometimes it's because the policies are wrong. The work is not being directed where it is most needed. But make no mistake, vital congregational life demands work, and a lot of work at that. One of the lessons of the 59 revival that we are celebrating particularly this year is that it broke out primarily in congregations that were hardworking and well-prepared. Secondly, Christ commends their patience. It's a tough word, that word patience. It literally means steadfast endurance, and that's tough. It means really putting up with difficulties, refusing to be discouraged, refusing to give up. How easily people become dissatisfied and discontented and discouraged in church life. If for a time this organization or that activity isn't going too well, people get discouraged. Of course we need to take a grip of ourselves. Of course we need fresh ideas, new initiatives, new leadership. But sometimes, sometimes, we also need the sheer unflinching stick atedness that endures steadfastly and patiently till a better day comes round. The third thing that Christ commanded in this church was its solidity. You cannot tolerate wicked men. And he spells this out more clearly in verse 6. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Don't ask me who the Nicolaitans were. I don't know too much about them. And some people have tried to guess who they are and have made some wildly stupid guesses. But the important thing is that there was a group of false teachers in Ephesus and some of the other churches too. They were wrong in their doctrine. They were wrong in their lifestyle. They tried to lead Christians into compromise with paganism. But these Ephesian Christians had shown how solid was their faith. They had tried and tested what these false teachers were peddling, and they had rejected it utterly. Their grasp of the truth was strong and firm. You and I live in a gullible age. People are searching for all sorts of spiritualities, as they call them these days. People want to pick and mix ideas, and so they fall for all sorts of outlandish beliefs. But Christ has laid down his truth in Scripture, 
and he wants his people in every church and in every age to hold fast to that and to stand firmly by it. And so, because of their hard work, because of their steadfast endurance, and because of their solid opposition to error, Jesus commends the integrity of the Ephesian church. But secondly, he condemned their coldness of heart. Verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. It's a bit like a young couple who are head over heels in love, newly married, such a happy, devoted pair. Their marriage will last forever. But as the years go by, something slips in that relationship. The wife is so busy with the family, with her part-time job, with the school run, with keeping the house, with hanging on to her friends. And the husband is to so totally swallowed up by the ever-increasing demands his firm is making on his time. Yes, he gives a bit of help at home, and he gets the odd round of golf. It's not that they dislike each other. It's not that their marriage is on the rocks. Not yet. They are dutiful, they are kind, they are fond of each other. But the freshness, the tenderness of first love has somehow ebbed away. Thank God it doesn't need to be like that. And yet you know and I know that so often that's how it is. Now, in this book of Revelation, the church is called the Bride of Christ. Jesus loves his church as tenderly as a bridegroom loves his bride. But here in Ephesus, as in so many other congregations, the church has left its first love. It had many fine qualities, as we've just seen, but love for Jesus had grown cold, and for that it stood condemned. I wonder if that might be said of us. As Jesus looks at this church, might he say of us, your fathers who founded this congregation loved me. They were people of prayer, people of social passion, people with a concern for evangelism, people who were faithful week in and week out at worship, people who brought up their families to know me and to follow me. But as a congregation, you have slipped you have left your first love. 
That's something to think about. And here's something else to think about. If it is possible for a congregation to cool off, isn't it even more possible for us as individual Christians to cool off in our love? How sad it is when a man or a woman or a young person who once professed to love Jesus loses their first love. The Bible becomes a bore. Church becomes a duty. Sermons become a switch-off. Fellowship with other Christians becomes a bondage. And all this is happening because the vital flame of love for Jesus no longer burns brightly on the altar of your heart. That was the sorry plight of that congregation in Ephesus, a fine historic congregation that had lost out on the one thing that really mattered, a burning love for Jesus. And so thirdly, the risen Christ commanded their repentance verse 5. Repent and do the things you did at the first. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Three simple steps set out here to help these good people retrace their steps and rediscover the love for Christ that once they knew. First of all, remember. Christ challenged them to look back to what they once were. Sometimes we need to do that. I find myself now, myself now and then talking to somebody who perhaps is having some difficulty in their marriage. One of the things I often try to do is to get them to look back to the good days, to try to think back to when they were first in love, to the way it was then at the beginning. That, of course, can be counterproductive. It can simply put into stark relief how bad their marriage has become. But sometimes it can be the key to open the door to the precious thing they've got and lost and need to rediscover. And in our relationship with Jesus, we too will often need to look back to the days of our first beginnings. We will need to try to recapture the keenness and enthusiasm and love that once we had for Him. Remember. Secondly, Jesus says, repent. We need to renounce our coldness of heart for the sin it actually is. 
and turn our faces toward Jesus with a new determination to thank Him and love Him for giving His life for us and for all His blessings to each one of us. And thirdly, Jesus says to them, do your first works. In spite of the many good things this church did, it would seem that there were some things they once did out of love for Jesus that had now slipped out of their lives. I don't know what those things were. Maybe it was a matter of motive. Maybe pride and jealousy and selfishness had crept in, and they were no longer doing things for love of Jesus. Maybe they had slipped up on prayer, on their times of quietness with God. Maybe they had slipped up on giving, or on hospitality, or on encouragement. I don't know. But Christ's word of command is clear. Put these things right. You don't feel like doing it? Not at the moment. Yet it is only by actually doing the deeds of love that love itself will begin to flourish anew in our hearts. How closely all this ties in with what we are going to do at the Lord's table. For Christ has given us this sacrament to help us remember Him, to rekindle our love for Him, and to renew our vows to do the very things that He most wants us to do. So, what about Ephesus today? Okay, its harbor is silted up. I can tell you that a little village looks out over the ruins of that once proud city. Some years ago, a visitor to that village found in it only a handful of Christians, and they were so ignorant of the Christian message that they hardly even knew the names of Paul or of John. Christ's message to the church in Ephesus back in the first century closes with a warning. Verse 5, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. It is possible for the light of a congregation to go out if we lose the warm glow of love for the Savior. I'm a great fan of the writings of John Stott. Many years ago, around the time when I was a student, he produced a, a very fine little book about the letters to the seven churches. 
He called it, interestingly, What Christ Thinks of the Church. And in it is this quotation about the church in Ephesus. Christ's warning to Ephesus is just as appropriate for us today. Our own church's light will be extinguished if we stubbornly persevere in our refusal to love Christ. The church has no light without love. Only when its love burns can its light shine. And he goes on. Many churches all over the world today have ceased truly to exist. Their buildings remain intact. Their ministers minister, and their congregations congregate. But their lampstand has been removed. The church is plunged in darkness. No glimmer of light radiates from it. It has no light because it has no love. Let us heed this warning before it is too late. Each of these letters finishes with words of promise, and we have it here in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Those who resist temptation, those who stand firm for the truth, and those who keep their love for the Lord Jesus strong and true, they will enjoy His love for them and His constant nourishment and blessing as they seek to serve Him here where He has placed us, and then in heaven at last. Let us pray. And first, a little prayer on the theme of our sermon. Lord, forgive us if our love for you has grown cold. Forgive us if our religion has become a lifeless duty. Forgive us if what others see in us fails to attract them to you. May word and sacrament focus our hearts afresh on Christ's great love for us and help us to rediscover our first love for him who is our heavenly bridegroom. Jesus Christ, our Lord.